Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm James Allgood, one of today's co-hosts. I'm in product marketing for Ignite, a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, one of today's co-hosts and co-founder of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a platform that is solving the talent crisis across the life sciences industry by democratizing access to the world's best expertise in order to accelerate development. I'm very excited to welcome two executives from Lindra Therapeutics, Patricia Herder, their CEO, and Jessica Ballinger, their president and COO. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Patricia, to start off, we'd love to learn about your career trajectory and how you got to where you are today. Thanks. So I grew up in South Africa and studied chemical engineering and then came to America in a really long time ago to come for graduate school and uh, ended up getting my PhD in chemical engineering and then started my first job was actually in the paper industry. From there in around 2000, I joined Merck and spent a few years there. And I guess the project that I spent the most time and enjoyed was Genuvia, which is one of the first fastest molecules ever to get from discovery through commercialization at Merck. And then in 2004, I joined Vertex and I spent 15 years there working on all of their therapies and brought five breakthrough drugs, you know, all the way from discovery through development and commercialization, which was really fun. I retired from Vertex in 2019, and I was planning to just join some boards and, you know, travel and have fun. And I did join the board of Synologic, which is a really interesting company that's developing sort of living bacteria as medicines. But then I also met the CEO of, of Lindra, Amy Schulman, and I thought of her a possible board opportunity, but it turns out she was looking for a CEO to succeed her. And so she had picked me as the uh, lucky victim, basically. And so that's how I ended up joining Lindra in 2019. Great. And over to you, Jessica. Yeah, thank you. I am Jess Ballinger, and I have been at Lindra now for since almost the beginning. I think I was employee number 11 back in 2016. I come from the Midwest, and I am a biochemist by training, strange enough, although I don't use it anymore, and I'm not allowed back in the lab with a scientist. I've been moving a lot. I used to work at Pfizer almost 20 years. And so part of my career in both personal development and career development was led by change in the organization for one reason or another. So I've been in at least five sites in Pfizer and a number of organizations, including R&D, manufacturing, quality assurance. And back in the early 2000s, I was given the chance and asked to take over device development in the R&D organization and have been in patient-centric drug delivery since then where I spent most of my latter part of my career at Pfizer doing product development, scale up and commercialization of a number of modalities for device development, and then led into Biogen where I joined and led product and device development for them for five years, launching a number of their products that are in MS hemophilia well before some of the spin outs they did for hemophilia. And in 2015, Amy Schulman and I did know each other previously from Pfizer, and she asked if I would consider to come over to Lindra and help start up this company called Lindra, which is focused on patient delivery of oral medications and also help create a company that had a completely different focus on diversity, inclusion, and development paradigms. And I couldn't be happier to be here. And I was extremely happy when Trish joined a couple of years later, and, and we're having a lot of fun now. So we look forward to telling you more about it. Tell me about what you're doing at Lindra. Lindra is developing a really cool ultra-long acting oral therapeutic that allows you to take your medicine once a week or even only once a month instead of every day. The cool thing about this is that rather than blaming patients for you know, not staying healthy because they don't take their pills, 
they, we're changing the pill and not the patient. So we're making it easy for people to stay compliant and then easy for them to stay healthy. So we're working on a bunch of really interesting programs, especially in the mental health arena. We're starting with schizophrenia. We have a number of global and public health programs, including malaria eradication, medication-assisted treatment of opioid abuse, and the once-monthly oral contraceptive. You know, we're hoping that sort of five to 10 years from now, basically no one's taking daily pills because everybody's taking their medicine much less frequently. So we're very fortunate our co-founders with Dr. Bob Langer and Gio Traverso, Andrew Bellinger, and Amy Schulman. So back in 2015, Linder was formed, and it was formed after a partnership with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and specifically with some conversations between Bill Gates and Dr. Langer, uh, thinking about the what if, wouldn't it be nice if, and shouldn't patients expect more around these long-acting deliveries? So you know that there's a lot of things going on within the Global Health Forum, and our product is not just one, but we're born out of that, and we're the one product and the first product around oral long-acting drug delivery. And so just within six short years, you know, we've gone from working with the Gates Foundation to having Series A, B, and C partnerships with AbbVie. It was originally Allergan for Alzheimer's, not AbbVie, and with Gilead and HIV, also with a partnership with NIH, and we've been very fortunate we're somewhere around $70 million in investments in grant-funded mechanisms, which is clearly validating that there's a real public and global health care unmet need to develop these products. And that really is the birth of Lindra across all paradigms of treatment and you know, shareholders and stakeholders who thought that you know, this is really where we need to be in, in the global future of providing no more daily pills, just transforming healthcare around the oral medication. Wonderful. And before we get into the work that you and your colleagues are doing now, we'd love to set the stage around your perspective on current global health needs and perhaps particular challenges that you see from a patient compliance perspective. Yes, I think it's interesting. You know, there are a number of fantastic therapies out there. And if you think about something like diabetes or hypertension, for example, the problem isn't that we need new therapeutics. We need people to actually take the therapeutics that are out there. So if you think about something like hypertension, for example, there's this concept called treatment-related hypertension, which basically means people aren't taking their pills. So they took the therapies, they wouldn't be having high blood pressure, they wouldn't be having strokes. So the other issue is that when you take daily pills, it's not being delivered in a really consistent way. You have these sort of peaks and troughs of, of drug delivery, which is not ideal. And so something like what Linda is developing allows you to both smooth out those peaks and troughs that deliver drug more consistently, which should improve safety and efficacy, but also makes it easy for patients to take their pills because you only have to take your pill maybe once a week or once a month instead of every day. So you can actually make it easier for patients to stay healthy and stay compliant. Great. And so we'd love to dig in on you know, perhaps the underlying technology and where your pipeline is right now. Linda's dosage form is, is really rather cool. It's very simple in some ways and elegant, but it's also pretty revolutionary. So you basically swallow a capsule that looks like a normal capsule, but when it gets into your stomach, it opens up into the star-shaped dosage form that just because of its size and shape actually stays in your stomach for as long as we ask it to do, basically. So it stays in your stomach, for example, for a week, for a weekly dosage form, slowly releases the drug over that course of the week. And at the end of the week, the whole dosage form falls apart and then exits the stomach and gets excreted along with normal undigested food. And again, we can change the design of this dosage form so that it can be a week or it can be two weeks or it can be a month, you know, depending on what therapy we're going after. You know, people before have tried to come up with what they call gastroretentive dosage forms to take pills that were being taken three or four times a day or twice a day down to once a day. And the longest they could actually get something to stay in the stomach was between eight and 12 hours. And so we've gone from sort of the eight to 12 hour mark to, you know, a week or longer in a, in a sort of a giant step uh, with a completely different approach to how you do it. 
And, um, you know, dosage form is, as I said, it's really cool, but the way it's made is just very different from normal pill making, for example. So because of that, we really have to invent the manufacturing process. We have to invent the characterization techniques. For example, we have an artificial stomach that we use for testing the dosage form. I mean, all of the testing we do is just very interesting and different. And we have these great young mechanical engineers always designing new ways to test and characterize and come up with these fancy fixtures to help us you know, make and test our dosage form. So it's really interesting walking around the lab. You know, we have a workshop with drill presses and 3D printers and injection molding equipment and all the rest of it. So people can prototype new ideas right there in our labs and come up with creative solutions to problems we're trying to address. Great. And there's certainly, you know, lots of applications for something like a daily pill. I'd love to understand perhaps the indication selection framework and how you decided on which therapeutic areas and diseases to first focus on and the work there. Yeah, no, it's true. We, we sometimes say there's boundless opportunities because pretty much any oral therapeutic could benefit from being in our dosage form. And that's where we hope, you know, five to 10 years from now will be that nobody's taking daily pills. Everybody's saying, yeah, sure, once a week is fine. Maybe once a month would be better. You know, in terms of where we're starting, if you think about it, anytime that we're focusing on neuroscience, because anytime that you've got something going on with your brain, invariably there's a caregiver involved in trying to help you stay on therapy. So if you think about schizophrenia, you know, it's sort of diagnosed in the late teens, early 20s. Usually there's either a sibling or a parent really trying to get a patient to be stabilized on therapy because you know that if the patient is on therapy, you can avoid those relapses and hospitalizations, which basically cause permanent damage to the brain. So you really want to avoid those relapses. But again, you know, if somebody has a mental illness and you're trying to have a discussion with them every day about taking a pill, it just doesn't go well. It's not a good dynamic. So if you could make that be less frequent, it's really helpful. So neuroscience is a great area for us to think about like Alzheimer's disease, another one where, you know, if you have a parent, you know, go take your meds every day. It's hard to do, but if you can go visit them for you know, tea on a Sunday afternoon and say, here, take your pill and then not have to worry about it the rest of the week, you know, that they're covered would be really, really helpful. So that's kind of the area where we're starting out. And so our lead program is, is Risperidone. And then we're also going to bring another active agent for schizophrenia or for psychiatric disorder in the near future. But then in addition, we're partnering with pharma because, again, we'd like this to be applied to many diseases. But for Lindra ourselves, we obviously can't do everything all at once. And so that's why we have these partnerships, both with pharma and then also with you know NIH. So, for example, something like levomethadone. And we do see it even in our own lives. So we're very fortunate to have a strong partnership with NIH with both Tony Fauci's team and Carl Diekenbach working on HIV and other infectious diseases, as well as Nora Volkow's team working with the opioid use disorder and unfortunate lack of access and adoption of medication-assisted treatment. Now, that's a lot of acronyms, but that's what they are. And really, we would be the first company successful, and we've just received fast-track designation for the development of a once-weekly oral, which can transform patient lives. But it's pretty incredible to ask patients to have substance use disorders really try to get back in and take control of their own lives and get back to work and do other things, but yet not provide them the solutions and resources where they stand in line every day to be able to get their treatment and have to travel to and from and maybe not even have jobs. So we hope to really disrupt a patient-centric healthcare system that allows really the promises we made that people should be able to get back on track through these solutions. I think all over the world, there's really crying need for improving people's health. We need to make patients more accessible, more affordable, easier for patients to take. And if you look at places like Africa, for example, there's still a huge caseload of malaria. It's a huge problem in Africa, even though it's been wiped out of different parts of the world. That's one of the things we're working on with the Gates Foundation is a malaria eradication program. If you look at things like pregnancy prevention, for example, the options out there for women in terms of contraceptives just aren't great. And so consequently, 
even in America, the rate of unintended pregnancies are about 40% of pregnancies are unintended. And of course, it's even higher than that in Africa. So there's just these really basic healthcare needs that don't need something fancy like gene therapy or cell therapy. They just need you know, a better way of getting medicine to patients that need it in a way that works for them in a way that's affordable and accessible. That's really what we need in order to keep the world healthier. So what's in Lindra's pipeline? Kind of an interesting pipeline, and you know, we're very excited about it. And really looking forward to the schizophrenia product actually starting pivotal trials at the beginning of next year, and then should be potentially be able to file that in 23 and get approval in 24 if all goes well. So we're pretty excited about the progress. Wonderful. Lots of exciting progress since the last time, I guess, Jessica and I had chatted. As far as it relates to partnerships, you both have spent some time in big pharma and very large biotechs. Curious to hear your thoughts around how partnership dynamics have changed over the years and what you look for in partnerships. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is finding a partner that is willing to work with you in a nimble way, because the bigger the company, usually the more bureaucratic and difficult it is to kind of get things moving, to take risks. And that's just the biggest struggle for a little company working with a big company. You know, sometimes if you're working with a big company, they have so many forums and meetings and, and you just don't have the people to do man-to-man defense, you know, <laughs> so it can get kind of challenging. So I think finding the right partner that's got more of an entrepreneurial mindset is really, really important if you want to have a successful partnership and actually make progress. We've been fortunate through the part of the history you asked about the foundation of how we got here is the partners we have chosen and have chosen us. There's a mutual trust and collaboration. Gilead is a co-owner in the company. They were in the Series B. They're on the board as well as collaborative partner. And I think what we find even with our NIH and Gates Foundation partnerships, as well as our pharma partnerships, is that they bring an extension of our organization. They help us stretch out to other skills that we can't possibly internalize. And they, with the right program, they can accelerate different parts of our, both our network and our capabilities. And that's an intangible part of the partnership, especially as you're a rapidly growing company. And I think that has been really important in FDA conversations when we think about the fundamentals of drug development and agile development for us around the background of pharmacology and modeling and other things, as well as just reach and sourcing and other things. So I think partnership has a lot of different tangible things from the small company side of it versus the big company side of it. I'd love to dive deeper into Lindra's R&D process, and especially how does your company culture influence some of these technologies and how does it prompt some of these breakthroughs? I think it's really important if you're trying to do difficult things. I'm a big believer in setting what we call BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. And when you do that, you know that they may not be achievable. And so when things go wrong, just to not get worked up about that and say, it's okay, you know, we come up with plan B. I always feel like if you set sort of maybe two or three really aggressive goals on, say, three different programs, and then maybe one of them works out and the other two don't, you're still further ahead than if you'd set unaggressive goals on all three programs and maybe only still maybe met some of them, you know, so... But when that happens, though, if you're going to be asking people to take risks and to go fast and to have, develop plans that have no fat in them and no slack in them, then when there is an unexpected delay because you hit a pothole, you, you can't turn around and point a finger and say, oh, you should have foreseen that. Or in hindsight, we should have realized that could have happened or whatever. You've got to say, no, this is totally expected. This stuff happens. You know, we're sticking our necks out. We're taking a risk. Things are going to happen. We all made that decision together. So now we just figure out plan B and we just regroup and figure out another way to go forward. And so that's what we really try really hard to do at Lindra because you need to support people. If you want them to take risks, then when things go wrong, you have to hold hands and say, we all agreed on this. We all agreed to take the risk and we're, we're okay with it. We still learn something and we're probably still further ahead than we would have been if we'd taken a really slow and safe approach, basically. 
Trish, it's worth mentioning our, our values that underscore that as well as our diversity, I'd say in the holistic point that enables those values that then makes us achieve those, the outcome of just getting things done. For sure. I mean, well, one of my favorite values, it's a play on a product which has a core to it. So it's called resilient to the core. Our core is a rubbery core. So it's kind of cool. Another one is value every voice. So we have a company where we have a sort of a bimodal distribution of people. We have people like Jess and myself that have been around for a few decades. And then we have the people that are you know less than five years out of school or 10 years out of school. Those people really have great ideas and they know things that we don't know. And so we just, we really have, for example, co-ops. The co-op was the one who suggested the artificial stomach and started working on it when he was a co-op and is continuing to lead it. And now he's a senior engineer or something. I don't remember his exact title, but he's a fantastic guy. We just promoted this Tyler Grant, who's basically, he's become the vice president of engineering. He joined Lindra straight out of his postdoc, so six years ago, and he's already a vice president. So we really encourage people at all levels of the organization to get accountability speak up, share the ideas. And then finally, the last value is all about teamwork. And the way we state that is, you know, I contribute, we deliver. So it's basically everybody contributes as a team, we deliver. I think following that, just as we talk about the kinds of people we bring to the table to enable really innovation um, in our diversity in culture is really around enabling every voice and having diverse voices around the table. So Trish already mentioned about our engineering group an engineering company for the most part, although we're more like a combination product company. So we have pharmaceutical and we're not a device. We're actually a product, but we have a lot of device-like attributes in what we do. And so we are definitely in a gender diversity in the whole organization, top to bottom, greater than 50%. And we have 60% women on the board and our leadership team is definitely a diverse in this gender. And then across that, we have all diversity that you can imagine from different backgrounds and communities and countries and religion, and all of those voices matter. And so we talk about that. And as part of that value, every voice and I contribute, we deliver. Those are our our rewards mechanisms are built around those as well. And as you can see from just the growth of the company from we were about 50 people-ish when COVID fortunately started for us. And we doubled the company during that time continue to accelerate the growth of the group and still continue to attract the same diverse candidates which is part of the success we have is that once you establish diversity as a core anchor in your company, you're known for that, but it also those networks continue to stretch and you continue to bring more diverse, highly skilled, very smart people to the table. And it's very fun to see it grow this way. Yeah, I think one of the things about diversity that I really enjoyed too is just that because we're doing something very different, no one has been trained to do what we need them to do. So everybody by definition comes in and has to learn on the job. So it's just, we hire people from all different backgrounds, you know, whether you're a biomedical engineer or a chemical engineer or a mechanical engineer or a physical scientist or organic chemist or an analytical chemist or whatever. It doesn't matter because everybody just comes in with that sort of fundamental academic training where they've learned the principles of science. And then they come in and they have to learn a whole new thing, which is, you know, what we need you to do at Lindra. So I think because of that, it's pretty fun. It's definitely a learning growing environment people grow really quickly and you know feel very part of the whole company. It's just a really cohesive culture, which I think people really enjoy. Great. So on the point of culture, you know, we work in an industry that has tremendous upside and potential, but is fraught with lots of failures given the nature of our work. I'm curious how you both handle the ups and downs of drug development and then subsequently manage the team, perhaps, you know, the younger folks that are new to drug development to keep energy high and to keep the team motivated. Yeah, well, I'll tell you how I manage the ups and downs of drug development is I ride horses. So I really enjoy riding horses and I do that every day. And I'm out there, you know, 5 a.m. and the sun's rising and it's beautiful and it just helps put life in perspective. And so 
with everybody at Lindo, you know, we encourage people to pursue their passions, whatever they are on the side, because you, you know, you need to have balance in your life. And balance doesn't necessarily mean that you're working eight to five and you have time to do yoga. Balance just means that besides work, you have something else that you're really passionate about so that you actually aren't completely one dimensional. So you have to so have some time to kind of free your brain up to think differently. I think that's one thing that's, you know, really, really important. And then, you know, I think if you model, like we, we're constantly having good news, which is awesome. And then constantly having bad news, which is not so awesome. It's kind of like you feel like getting whiplash sometimes, you know, on the same day we get fast track designation here and then you find out something went wrong in manufacturing. You know, it's just like you can barely keep track. And so I think just we just try to anyway model for the people in our company when bad things happen, we're just very calm. We don't get excited. We don't pound the table. We don't scream and shout. We don't say who did what wrong. We're just like, okay, well, this is thank you very much for sharing information. We have to think about this, to, you know, talk about it figure out how to handle it and you know it's, it just amazed me right from the very beginning the one time it hadn't been under very long and we had these new cores that were supposed to be great and the best things in sliced bread and then we tested them and they fell apart and I was very disappointed because we had a board meeting the following day and I was like this is terrible timing to be getting this news you know the day that we got the news was a Wednesday and I thought people were kind of like they didn't really have any great ideas on Wednesday about how we're going to solve the problem and I uh, came to work the next morning and there was this whole slew of ideas about how we we're going to solve the problem. It was less than 24 hours and they'd already come up with a, a bunch of different approaches to solve the problem. So I think, you know, I think just trying to stay calm, have faith that we will find a way through it and portray that and, and make sure people understand that we have faith in their abilities. I think that helps. And again, you know, it, it is tough. It's a tough industry for sure. But I think that if you work hard and you have a good group of people, whatever difficulties come, you will find a way through it. And there's definitely a way to find a way through it. And that's, I'm very, uh, I'm naturally optimistic, I guess. So. I would echo Trish. So my same time she's on a horse, I'm on an e-cycling racing platform, uh, bike cycling. So we're both talking to each other as we're doing our sports in the morning and getting ready for the day. And I think that, you know, you said something about innovation there, Trish, because of our diverse, smart team, they can innovate quickly and they have to innovate everything we do because it doesn't exist, including the testing, how to, how to test for a problem. Like if you have a gastric retentive dosage form, You've never had one before. How do you test for when it, something doesn't go as expected? You've got to figure out a way to test it too. So there's a quite a bit of ingenuity that goes on in the group. And I think we lead by empathy and building trust and authenticity. So as many gray hairs as we have and as many products as we've touched, it is normal in product development to have ups and downs. And we're more than happy to share those examples and actually treat the team with respect and educate. This is actually part of the job. It is part to get the answer that doesn't work. And if you're doing something no one's ever done before, you're probably going to get some answers that didn't look like you wanted it to. It wouldn't be that transformative or that important if you didn't. So it's hard and it's fun because it's hard and it's safe because it's hard. It's a safe place to work because you're going to keep getting data and you're back to, you must get that data fast so that you learn it quicker so you can pivot, so you can get the product to the patient faster, because that's part of our responsibility to do the product development. Yeah, the thing about all this ups and downs that reminds me of is I think somebody might look at someone like me and say, okay, she's a CEO, she's had this great career, she's had multiple promotions, she's done really well, you know, awesome. But, you know, what's maybe a little less obvious is, but prior to joining Lindra, the only time that I'd ever left a job was because I was laid off. So I was laid off twice. And, you know, the first time it happened, I was really shocked because I was like, well, clearly I did something wrong even though it had nothing to do with me. You know, my company got bought up by another company and I lost my job. But like, I felt like maybe I'd made a bad decision and what company I joined or something. I, it was just a real, you know, shake up to my system. And then I left that job and I got another job and I was at Merck and I was laid off from Merck as well. And, you know, then I went to Vertex. And so Vertex was the first time that I actually consciously made a decision to leave a company. And 
I just felt like it was you know, time to do something different. But, you know, people have these very circuitous paths to get to where they're at, where they're at. And I think anybody that you speak to, I would imagine, I'm not sure if this is true, but I would imagine that many of the people that are, you know, have become successful and achieved great things, if you talk to them, you find out that it wasn't a straight, clear path with no challenges and no obstacles and no deviations. You know, it was probably something a little bit of a windy road with some black eyes here and there. And like, there's that one book that's, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. You know, I love that book. And it says, you know, sometimes you're reaching great heights and other times you're in a slump and unslumping yourself is not easily done. I mean, that book is totally true, you know, for my life. And actually my very first boss and my very first job when I got my very first promotion gave me that book. And uh, I thought it was a really great present because it's like, you know, sometimes you're doing great, but sometimes things happen. You just have to like dust yourself off and pick yourself up and keep on going. And I think it's the same thing with drug development. Things are always happening. And when things go wrong, you just have to, you know, dust yourself off, pick yourself up and keep on going, basically. So another follow-on question now related to that very interesting conversation is around team building. And during the pandemic, how, if at all, has your hiring approach evolved or changed? It's really bizarre. It's so much faster recruiting people over Zoom because, you know, in the old days, if you wanted to hire somebody and you wanted to have a face-to-face discussion, you had to find a day where you had everybody that you wanted to interview them was on site and then they could travel and they could come and interview and all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, usually took a while, but with Zoom, you can have them interview with somebody on Monday and somebody else on Friday afternoon. It doesn't really matter. And we literally doubled the size of our company during COVID. We've never recruited so fast. And then on top of that, before we had the ability to work as effectively as we do now remotely, you know, we thought, okay, if we want to hire, for example, a chief commercial officer, it's got to be somebody who's willing to move to the Boston area. But again, with us learning that you don't need that to be true, we hired a chief commercial and business officer who wants to live in Florida. And that's totally fine. You know, so it's really kind of opened our eyes to the the possibilities. You know, we have a bunch of people that also work in R&D in the lab. And in manufacturing, obviously, they need to be physically located in the right place to do that. But for jobs, you know, whether it be in, for example, our clinical team or working mostly remotely or a lot of of our our DNA team are working remotely. And it's really great because especially if you want somebody who maybe wants to be in a different phase of their life, living in a different place, but they've got a lot of experience and you'd love to tap into that experience. They don't want to sacrifice living on the beach in South Carolina, for example, but they can. They can live on the beach in South Carolina and still bring their decades worth of regulatory experience to us, for example. It's really been quite wonderful. Great. So let's switch gears now to the future of our sector. And I'd love to hear from both of you, what are some opportunities that you see over the next 20 to 30 years to drive R&D efficiency across biotech and pharma? I think one of the areas that's been fairly neglected in pharmaceutical is manufacturing. When I joined Linda, again, the pharmaceutical industry from paper industry, where I thought paper would be much more old-fashioned and less high-tech, and indeed it was not. It was way more high-tech and and more modern than in pharmaceuticals, where at the time they were using what looked like giant Kenwood food mixes like you'd have in your kitchen to make, you know, granulations that would then turn into tablets. So it was really, really low-tech batch manufacturing, which, you know, has been out of fashion for decades. So when I was at Vertex, we worked on implementing what we call QBD, which is quality by design, which is basically an engineering approach to manufacturing. Followed that up with the world's first continuous drug product manufacturing facility, which basically allows you to develop things way more quickly and in a more robust way. So you can actually really understand your process and understand product quality and, and scale things up much more quickly. And so, for example, using that at, at Vertex, we had this one drug called Tricafter that was discovered in MedChem in March 2016 and was approved by the FDA in October 2019. So sort of three and a half years, and that just would not have been possible if you were doing it the old-fashioned batch manufacturing scale-up kind of a way. So at Linda, we're taking that one step further. We have even more automated manufacturing, and our whole dosage form is sort of a platform that you can easily add new drugs sort of a plug-and-play way. So for example, the next time there's a COVID pandemic, if someone comes up with a therapeutic, we could quickly put that on our platform 
have a one and done type therapy so you can avoid viral resistance emerging because nobody has the option to not take the full course of therapy. And modern manufacturing is high tech. It's not labor intensive, so it's suitable for doing anywhere really, but including the USA. So we can do manufacturing here in the US, avoiding some of the supply chain issues that we had, you know, again, over the past uh, sort of decade or so. So I think that's something that we really need to focus on more. And I think there is a, a growing awareness of the fact that, you know, especially as you develop these new modalities, these interesting technologies, you need to focus on manufacturing early so that you can resolve those issues and make sure that you have manufacturing ready to go and the clinical data is ready for approval. And to wrap up, you both have had careers that have now spanned VC-backed biotech, publicly traded biotechs, and big pharma. What's one piece of advice you wish you could have provided your younger self? I think for me, it's, you know, a lot of people are focused on having a five-year plan and a clear career path. And I think for me, it's more just do the best you can and work really hard at whatever you're working at now. And it's amazing what opportunities will come to you. And when those opportunities come, just seize them. You know, don't, don't be shy about trying something new, working in a different industry, working in a different company, working in a different area. You know, just be nimble, be flexible, you know, maintain your network and, you know, have fun. Make sure that what you're working on is something you enjoy, because if you enjoy your job, you're going to give it your all and you're going to be more successful. And I would echo that. We're not not so dissimilar. I think if we could have charted it, I'm not sure we charted where we landed. And I'm super excited about it. I think we have thought about this and words I use are be flexible, curious, and creative. I also think if you do, and, and it's the same spirit. I mean, Trish mentioned it earlier in her career. She was laid off twice. I was a product of the Pfizer acquisition. So I was known as the person who closed sites because I was at every site that closed and people said, please don't come to my site because it'll close. So there was a running joke within the organization about it. You just have to you know, get on with it and be ready to do something. And if you are in the role and you're really having fun and delivering, those opportunities come to you because they know who delivers and they know they want you on the team and things are always opening the doors for you. When you get a chance to be a leader, you should lead with empathy and authenticity and build a lot of trust in your team because it is a hard job to do in biotech and product development. And there are ups and downs. And the more that you can lead by example and make it a safe place to live through that, the better off everybody is because they show up well and and they want to be a part of it. On that note, Thank you, Trish and Jessica, for joining us today, sharing the inspirational mission of Lindra and for pursuing this very important work. Great. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.